You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. It is a happy Monday, Dr. Chris. How are you? Yeah, happy Monday to you too. No, I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? I am uh, wonderful and, you know, showing up for the day. We've all been talking about things happening on Oscar stages, but now we need to talk mm. about science. Because I should be asking you, was it technically a slap or a punch? <laughs> well, judging by the look on his face, uh, it was both. It was both a slap in the face, but also it, it looked like quite a lot of force behind that. Because he, he if, you, if you look at the picture back. that's... Yeah, but if you look at the picture on the front page of most newspapers, it, it it's like a cartoon oof moment, isn't it? It is. Oh. It, it, he really went for it. It's it's so not so a good crazy. message. Not a good not a good message to send out. Yeah, yeah. We're taking your calls. O double one double eight three zero seven zero two. The WhatsApp lines are open. O seven two seven zero two one seven zero two. All your science related questions for Doctor Chris Smith. Poloso in Centurion. Hi. Hello, uh, hi, uh, Chris. How really, uh, really? Mm. I just want to know, uh, uh, Doctor Chris, as uh, scientifically speaking, is it possible to remove stretch marks? Mm. Well, well, first of all, what are stretch marks? Well, as as we get older, our skin, which can continue to grow, loses its elasticity, and what gives skin its elasticity is a protein called elastin. The clues in the name. And the other main protein in our skin is collagen, which gives skin its strength. And together, these give skin its turga and its texture. And when we're small and growing, we have a relatively high fraction of elastin. And we have a large amount overall of collagen. As we age, our skin tends to thin. And that means we're losing the skin substance, the collagen and the elastin. But the amount of elastin relative to collagen also drops away. There are a number of things that will do this. And one of them is just the aging process naturally. Damage from the sun does this. Damage from cigarette smoking. That's actually one of the most profound aging effects that you can do to yourself if you smoke. And so if you avoid those things, you can slow down the rate at which that happens. But if you subject skin to a, a lot of tension or stretch then uh, it, it, it doesn't necessarily always return to its original shape or size. Now, one way you can do that is if you're, if you're large and you put on weight, your skin is one of those amazing organs that will continue to grow and expand to cover the playing field, as it were. So if you have a lot of mass, you have more skin, and then if you lose weight, you're left with excess skin, and the body doesn't really know what to do with it. It won't just go away of its own accord. And, and this is where you can get these stretch marks. And because the skin is a bit less elastic as we age, they don't iron themselves out and they become wrinkly. So really the only answer under those circumstances, and this is particularly the case with people who've undergone dramatic weight loss, for instance, after weight loss surgery, is to have some of the excess skin taken away. And there are plastic surgeons who are really good at this. They know how to do this in a way that invisibly mends the problem because they put their incisions in places where all of the natural creases would be in the skin, so they become invisible. They use extremely sharp knives, and they do an amazing job. And so you get rid of the extra skin, bring the edges together of the margins of what you've removed, and this applies a bit more tension across the remaining skin so that it irons out the wrinkles. So that is why skin gets stretch marks and wrinkles, and that's how you get rid of them. But unfortunately, there's no easy fix. So, I mean, there are so many um, uh, products on the market, like your tissue oils and all the different oils, your vitamin E oils. Do they actually work, or is it just a placebo effect of you feeling like you're doing something about it, but it doesn't actually work? Some of them do. 
and there was one particular run on a, a particular store product a few years back now where a proper clinical trial was done which showed that it really did have a clinical impact and it, it was because it had a particular vitamin in it that promoted the growth of certain populations of skin cells increased the amount of collagen again increased the elastin so you got more elasticity in the skin and it therefore had a youthful effect it had a sort of endowed you with more a more youthful appearance but the effect is relatively modest so if you've got a really well lived in body and you've really caned it <laughs> throughout your life yes. there are limits to what a bottle of jollop will do there really are but that's not to say that you can't achieve something but the best thing you can do is to have a healthy body overall don't photo age your skin if you have paler skin if especially if you're not black skinned black skin much much better at aging than white skin white skin gets very very is very susceptible to solar damage but smoking is a very very good way if you don't smoke although smoking will cure salmon it will certainly not cure you so don't smoke because that has a very profound aging effect on all skin tones all right thank you for that poloso in centurion jeff in soweto hi yeah, thank you for giving me time. Uh, my grandson, two and a half years old, um, before he starts coughing, he's inclined to cough very often. And his temperature at, at some point gets up to 40, the doctors say, and he starts uh, breathing uh, through the mouth, and uh, it appears the nose uh, gets uh, completely uh, blocked. And uh, what is more serious is that uh, in the early hours of the morning, around 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., he starts coughing continuously right up to 4 a.m. What should we do to try and, and, and find a medical solution for him? Can I just ask, Jeff, have you, uh, um, in terms of like ENT consultations, have they put cameras down the sinuses? Have they done those things? Um... You know, quite frankly, what we, they said to us at Baraguana, they said uh, um, they will try and first with this uh, liquid that is being sprayed in his nose, and mm -hmm. then after seven months, they will see what happens. But, uh, you know, he's getting worse, and we are concerned. Mm -hmm. Doctor? Hi, Jeff. Well, I'm sorry to hear about this, and um, I hope you'll pass on my good wishes to him. There are a number of reasons why... A youngster will wake up at night and cough. Now a very common one is asthma and allergy because although you may be exposed to something that triggers an asthma attack during the day, usually it takes until night time, often in the middle of the night, before the effects are most manifest and then people become wheezy and they often wake up coughing. But what's slightly unusual here is that you say he has a temperature and asthma is an allergy and doesn't normally result in a high temperature. A high temperature usually is an indicator of inflammation systemically and that usually is an indicator of an infection somewhere. And there's a number of things that will cause chronic cough. Now if this is an otherwise fit and healthy youngster who just coughs, there might be more than one thing going on and, and he may have an underlying allergy and perhaps asthma and there might be some infections coming periodically on top and indeed if you get an infection, infection can exacerbate underlying problems like asthma and waking up at two o'clock in the morning and coughing especially if you have a croupy cough that's almost like a a whooping wheeze sort of sound that can be because of viral infection and certain viruses come at more often at certain times of the year but para-influenza viruses cause croup 
and they, that's the condition is called laryngotracheobronchitis and it's that barking cough that they get really it, it's something you often if you've got that grow out of but then it's a question of working through the list of possibilities and ticking them off and excluding them and this is where uh, a respiratory physician can make a proper assessment and then work out what's going on rule out important underlying infection which needs to be ruled out to make sure that there's not something chronically there that can be treated and then go down the road of things like allergies and asthma which may be there as well and they can be managed and there are easy ways to manage those things and then give him a good night's sleep. Thank you so much uh, for that question, uh, Jeff and Soito. I wish you guys all of the best. Uh, we've got Joe in Ravonia. Hi, Joe. Um, yeah, good afternoon, and good afternoon, Dr. Chris. Um, my question, I'm not sure if it has something to do with astronomy. Um, it has to do with the length of the, um, the months of the, uh, the year. Uh, we know that some months are 30 days, some are 31 days. Is it a convention or is it that we have some astronomical happenings? Uh, for example, June has got 30 days, July 31 days. Why can't June be 31 days and July um, 30 days? And February, why can't we have February as 29 days or 27 mm. days? All right. Thank you so much, uh, Joan Ravonia, Doctor. Well, Joe, February sometimes does have 29 days, but it only does it once every four years. So if you're born on that day, it's a bit of a bummer. Although you it's good for your age, birthday. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you can, you're much younger than you really are. And often people lie about their age, but if you're born on the leap year, you really can. But um, the answer is that the months have the numbers of days that they do in them just because of a historical convention. And we embraced the calendar that we have. I think it's a throwback from the Romans. But before that, we had a totally different calendar. And people have embraced different timekeeping measures and methods over the centuries to millennia but the one thing that's unchanging is the seasons and if you live on the equator obviously you don't see much of that bit not much um, but if you live in extremes of latitude such as right at the bottom of South Africa right at the top of the North Pole you really are a victim of the seasons and you see very very hot times of the year very very cold times of the year relatively speaking so people have always had a concept of time they've always had a concept of time of year because they lived and died by those seasons if you got it wrong and you didn't have enough stuff put by for the cold months you were going to perish so people were really in tune with this historically and they became quite good at recording the signs of how the seasons were changing and then they began to record those times they began to, to log how long things took they they also watched what was happening in nature and they therefore had a concept of how time passed and what seemed to happen in what order but it was only more recently that we've come along and given names to the times of year and added arbitrary numbers of days to those months we could in theory just have one month that was six months long if you see what i mean and if we lived on a different planet that's exactly what we'd probably have to do but really it's it's down to how we decided to allocate the days into months to be honest with you the exception being february with the leap years and the reason we do that is because the earth takes about 365 days to complete its journey around the sun which is what we call one year but not quite and because it's not quite making it every so often we add or every four years we add an extra day just to keep things right otherwise the calendar would slip and we'd end up eventually given long enough with summer cropping up in the middle of what we currently call winter. Okay, thank you so much for that question, Doctor. I'm being reminded, remember last week, 
I asked you a question when we had like 30 seconds left and there was no time. Ooh. Remember? Ooh, yeah. Now I got to watch It was a sensitive subject and I wanted very, to give it a reasonable amount of time. Very. Yeah. So um, he sent a WhatsApp saying, please don't forget my question for the dear doctor from <laughs> last week. Degradation as in getting thinner of the penis. Thank you from Anonymous. Well, I wasn't sure whether he meant that as people get older, then there can be an issue with impotence, which is where you can't maintain or sustain or get an erection. And this can happen for a range of reasons. And the most common reason actually is psychological. If people are worried or stressed or think that might happen, then because stress stops you actually performing sexually, it tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And because it happens, it makes you stressed and worry about it. And then the next time you think, well, that happened last time. I wonder if it's going to happen again. And it becomes a vicious cycle. So psychology, really important here. The other point is, as we get older, then the system of the nerves and the blood vessels that are involved in that process happening become a bit less reliable. And particularly if you have heart problems or you're on medication for heart problems, this can also antagonize the process. So all these things come to play. And if it does become a problem, the good news is there's usually things that can be done about it because it's accepted that this is an enormous cause of anguish for people. And it's worth consulting someone professionally who knows about this because often it can be sorted out very, very quickly and painlessly and you can get help. So if that happens to you, either because of age or because of medication or because of other things, go and see somebody because they know about this and they know how to give you the right sort of advice and the right things to try in the right order to get it sorted out. All right, thank you so much. I hope you are assisted there, Anonymous. Lee in Kempton Park, go ahead. Okay, thank you, uh, Rebo Hille. So, uh, so, Doctor, I was saying that um, I had COVID-19 uh, last year, December. So, um, issues that I'm facing with my health is that I get heart palpitations a lot. And um, I also um, have joints uh, aching. And, and sometimes I feel like I've twisted my arm and then it lasts for quite a long time. So my question is, is this something that could be caused by um, the COVID-19 infection I had? That's the first question. The second question is, is it safe for me to take a vaccine when I'm experiencing these problems, assuming it's related to the COVID-19 infection that I had? Thank you. Mm, highly, yeah. Um, the answer is that you can never say never in medicine. So it could be that your run-in with coronavirus infection did cause some of this to happen. The, the other possibility is that actually we could be attaching significance to a coincidence. The two things are cropping up independently of each other and, and COVID didn't cause this. It just happened around the same time as this other stuff happened. We know that about one in five people who has acute coronavirus infection do see some changes in the way their heart works, up to one in five. It may be much lower than that when we look at whole populations because these tend to be people who, who are getting studied who are in hospital or have come to the doctor with something. So probably this is an overestimate. But we think that that's largely temporary. Usually it's a what we call a myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, probably reflecting inflammation of the entire body, which is going on with coronavirus infection. And that should just resolve. But in some people, it's possible that the irritation that arose could have triggered some heart changes, which might persist in some people. We don't know, and people are still looking into this. If it's just palpitations, as in occasionally your heart runs a bit fast, or occasionally you get funny beats, 
funny beats called ectopics are actually quite common in most people and especially in younger men and especially in highly trained people, very active people, and especially when we get stressed or have too much coffee. This can also disclose the problem. So it may well be that you're just prone to this and it's got nothing to do with COVID. But if this is a new thing, if it keeps happening, if it's getting worse or there are other symptoms that go along with it, you must see somebody and get that checked out just to check that there's not some other thing going on underlying it and it is just something that is a, an issue and a nuisance but it's not going to be potentially a risk for you just to just to make sure that that is not the case with aching muscles and things well again this could be just that in someone that was going to happen anyway that covid came along around the same time or it could be that that there's some inflammatory process going on that's connecting the two the good news is that the vaccines don't appear to make these sorts of things worse and in studies that have been done and you think the vaccines have now been administered to billions of people around the world, literally billions of people around the world. It's a huge clinical trial in that respect. So we've got a lot of experience with these vaccines now and what they do and don't do and what happens when people who've had coronavirus infection have them and the evidence is that they boost your immunity that the coronavirus infection has given you but they don't cause additional harm or cause other runaway immune responses so again take advice and make sure your condition is properly investigated so that we know what's causing it and we're not missing something but from a vaccine for coronavirus point of view there shouldn't be an additional risk for someone like you having the vaccine you will boost your immunity and protect yourself from future infection thank you so much for that question lee freddie in soweto hi Hi. Mm, go ahead, Freddie. How are you? Go ahead, Freddie. Uh, okay, Doc. Hey, I, I just want to ask this a, a simple question. Man. This question man, has been bothering me so long. I just want to know, how come a man, although if they born to, they born uh, at the same time, but the, the one who's going to die is a, who is a man. How come, Doc? As in men die before women? Uh, actually, you, you know what? They can, born, they can both born at the same time. Mm. But the one who's going to die is a, is a man. Okay, okay. I understand your question, doctor. The answer is that um, at all stage of the life processes, males have a higher mortality rate than females. So more male babies are conceived than females and some are lost before they're even born and that means that roughly by the time of birth the numbers have, ma have evened up and then at all stages of life male mortality is greater than female mortality there are different reasons at different ages why that is the case in young men risk-taking behavior is greater in those young men than in equivalently aged young women women tend to play safer than men men take more risks and do more stupid things and as a result they're more likely to have more accidents in some societies men are more likely to be in the workplace and they may have occupational hazards which also may have contribute to their mortality the hormone testosterone also seems to accelerate the risk of heart disease and stroke so men may age prematurely and have a higher risk of those disorders and therefore live less long than women do after the menopause though women 
do have a, a higher rate of heart disease. So women are protected, relatively speaking, by the female hormone profile until the age of the menopause when their hormones change and then their risk does increase after that. But by then, of course, men have been at higher risk for longer. So there's a range of different reasons, but on average, across all societies, human females tend to outlive human males and they do so by uh, four to five years in most cases. What uh, an interesting one there. We've got one on Twitter uh, that is saying, for Dr. Chris, this is I Love Skyview Holdings. Why is it that just a week or two before my monthly cycle, I crave for chocolates, Oreo, and all the bad foods, including especially <laughs> carbohydrates? What can I do, yeah. please? It's getting worse as I grow older. And I, I love you, Miss R, and I love you, Dr. Chris. Oh, thank you. We love you too. And let's see if we can help you out with your problem. The answer is this is not a problem. This is normal. And a lot of women, if you ask them, will say that their desire for certain foods definitely changes across the month. And when they get into the period leading up to a period, they will often say exactly like you do, that you feel a bit down, you feel a bit low in energy, and you tend to therefore go for foods that will A, boost your mood, but also boost energy in a hurry. And so sugary, chocolatey foods are often the ones that fit the bill. And, and I think it's a product of the fact that as you get towards the end of the cycle, hormone levels begin to plummet. And as they drop, this contributes to a change in mood, it also contributes to a change in physiology. Your, your body is preparing to have a period and then regenerate the tissue. It's anticipating it's going to need some energy to do that and therefore it encourages you to go and eat something you like. All right, uh, we are running out of time, but a quick question that came in and I hope you can give me a 30-second answer, Doctor. Can a person fall pregnant due to sex during a menstrual cycle? The answer is yes, you can, because some people do have very irregular periods. And although most people have a regular period and they ovulate on day 14 in the middle of their 